And now, our feature presentation. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Cinema Shot. I'm your host, Ben, aka the Marvel Ziggy, and joining me is Chief Aeronautical Engineer, Tyler! I feel like we've been here before. Have we been here before? I feel like that we've been here before. We've been here before. We definitely have been here before. Um, except this time, there's no pig man flying around. Yeah, I thought that was a bit familiar. That was the one thing that the this week's subject was missing. And Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton, that's for sure. But uh, maybe for some instances that will be uh, for the better. Um, okay, so uh, this week we are uh, it, we are talking about The Wind Rises, uh, one of the more recent um, Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, we always play this game when we, when we do this, but Tyler, um, what, have you, what did you know about The Wind Rises before, prior to this movie? Uh, basically next to nothing. Um, I haven't really kept up with, uh, Studio Ghibli movies in the, in the 2010s, so my knowledge up to this point is pretty minimal. I do know that this stack, this, uh, cast is pretty stacked in the English version, so we'll get to that when we get to that. Right, exactly. Um, I think the only thing I've seen of this is, like, when... I like and I rem- I only remembered it because there's an image from this movie that uses like romance and Ghibli movies and like there's a moment where our main character hugs his hugs his wife and I was like oh so that's where this is from, um, so like that's where I recognize it from but I had no idea what this is about. Um, looking at the cast though, it's a it's a star-studded cast um, of people you uh, people you may not know people you do know. Um, and uh, some have bit players or not, but I definitely want to. I'll, I'll tell you this right now: I want to rewatch it again uh, immediately after finishing it because I thought it was a beautiful movie. Um, but we'll get into what it, what exactly is the Wind Rises about because the title tells you almost nothing, including the uh, poster. Uh, well, first off, the Wind Rises or Hepburn Kaze Tanichu or the Wind Has Risen. Uh, it was it's based on the uh, the Wind Has Risen manga by Tatsuo uh, Hori um, in Eagles of Mitsubishi, the story of the Zero Fighter by Jiro uh, um, Horoshi, who was uh, based, who was our main, I believe he's our main character today. So uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, this was produced by Toshio Suzuki. This was uh, released July uh, 20th, 2013, uh, 2013. So this was well over n- uh, nine years ago. Um, with a runtime of 126 minutes, had a, a budget of of 30 million dollars and a box office of 136.5 million. So, Tyler, if I if I came to you and I told you that this was a movie about the man who would eventually de- design the 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 um the Mitsubishi A6M Zero fighter for World War II, would you believe me? Uh, probably. Okay. Well, I was expecting a different answer, but um. Uh, yeah, so this is a a first for Studio Ghibli in that it is not like I don't know how like one for one it is, but um, uh, it is a almost autobiographical take, uh, autobiographical movie on um, Jiro uh, Horikoshi, uh, who uh, I, uh, Horikoshi Jiro, um, who uh, is the was one of the chief engineers for uh, Japan's fighter planes in World War II. Including the most famous fighter plane that, if you were a World War history, uh, if you are a um, either a World War II history buff or just you know maybe you like airplanes, the Zero plane is infamous for its speed um, uh, back in the day. 
Um, so that's I was like, wait a minute, and I kind of put the guess like, wait a minute, is this the is this gonna be the guy who makes the zero plane? Because even like I have like a passing knowledge on that stuff, and I was like, oh okay. Um, what did you what did you thought about when you realized that this is basically an autobiographical movie? Um, I honestly didn't realize it until the credits said, uh, in memory of, uh, Jiro Hokikoshi, uh, in all honesty. I do not, I didn't realize pretty early on that this took place, um, a little before World War II, so it kind of had a stint, but I didn't think it was that rooted in reality in relation to, um, important figure in history. Right, right, right. Um, and that's kind of like the big thing. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but let's go ahead and break down our cast. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, plays, uh, uh, Horikoshi Jiro and, uh, Zach Callison plays his younger self. Emily Blunt, uh, plays Nahako Satomi. Um, uh, John Krasinski plays Kiro um, Honjo. Martin Short plays Kurokawa. Warner Hartsaw, who's probably the most like n- voice you'll recognize in this one, as soon as he spoke, uh, I was like, "That's Warner fucking Hartsaw." Um, plays Hans Kastrop. Uh, William H Macy uh, plays Satomi. Eddie Mirren plays Jiro's mother. Um, May Whitman plays Kayo uh, Horikoshi, which is. Uh, it's just your sister, and Eva Bella plays the younger version, and then Manny Patinkman, you know, of 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 the um, of the Princess Bride plays Satori. Jennifer Grey is Mrs. Kurokawa, um, which I was like, uh, so Hattori is is like the this, is the short stout guy. I did not know that was Manny Patinkman until afterwards, which is uh, which blew my mind. Um, and then there's a couple of other actors. Stanley Stanley Tucci is. Um, plays Giovanni Battista Caproni, who is, uh, we'll talk about him for sure. Um, May Whitman versus Kinu, Elijah Wood as Son, Ronan Farrow as, as a Mitsubishi, random Mitsubishi employee, and then a couple other unknown, uh, unnamed characters. So, yeah, this, this movie is pretty much about, like, his young life, so pretty much, uh, you know, it, he, it's, it's, he's a, he's a young kid, and Jiro Horikoshi uh, wants to be a fighter pilot. Um, or wants to become a pilot. Because at the time, you know, World War One had ha- was happening. But the idea of being a fighter pilot wasn't a thing. But planes were, were around, you know. Um, but unfortunately, he's nearsighted. And this is a running theme throughout this movie. Where he dreams of uh, of his idol. Uh, which is uh, Giovanni Battista Caproni. I feel like I have to do the accent. Um, who was, I guess he was an Italian aircraft designer and he calls him little Japanese boy and they marvel over the beauty of flight, the beauty of airplane design and just that freedom that comes with it. And pretty much you follow Jiro through, um, many important events like the great Kanto earthquake that happens in the night in like the early, in like the mid, like the late 19 teens. Um, him graduating, uh, to, uh, graduating college to work for, um, uh, Mitsubishi, which, uh, which obviously now is a, you know, a car, like a manufacturer now, but they, I guess they must've got, they were, uh, plane, uh, parts and, uh, in the other parts. And you see how basically the shadow of, of the oncoming World War II is pretty much in this movie. Yeah, that thought was always in the back of my mind. Like, um, 
obviously this took place a little before World War II. So right. The fact that um, I understood that um, there that he was eventually going to design planes for that, uh, not specifically for that purpose. Right. Was always kind of looming in the back burner. Right. Because uh, even then, like. Um... You know, there's moments where, uh, of like when the government, it's it's early on when him and his friend are like working for the government and they're going to go to Germany. They start to realize that their creations that they're making are going to be used as weapons of war. Um, and like I let, let's talk about the relationship between Giro and um, uh, Giovanni. I I really like that's that that because I don't know if those two men ever met in real life because I think. Um, Giovanni... I think he's only seen him in postcards, and the only conversations that they had face-to-face are in his dreams. Right, so, like, it's kind of like a wish, a well-wisher of bringing these two men who are known for their aeronautical design and, and craftsmanship to, like, kind of have them meet, like, the ma- the master meets the mentor in this very much reusing the same setting as, uh, um, uh, Porco Rosco. He was also Italian. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, was he Italian? I don't think he was Italian. Um, but I think he was. But what did you think about that whole aspect of it? Like, like the I that like two basically one who would become a master and another one who already was uh, kind of like inspiring him in his dreams like that, like actual, like physically like that. It's pretty charming. Like. uh like, we're talking about Caproni, right? Yeah, 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 Caproni, yeah. Talking to the little Japanese boy. Yeah. Um, I think it's inspiring to, like, uh, have uh, an idol, even if it's in your dreams, kind of inspire you to follow uh, what you want to do in life. And um, it, even though it does warn of the dangers of how your dreams can be warped by reality, um, it's still refreshing to, like, you know, just chase your dreams, you know? Right. And I think that's like, kind of like the whole backbone of the movie for me is that, like, you know, um, uh, Horikoshi, as depicted in this film, because I don't know the real depiction of this man, but as depicted in this movie, he's very much a daydreamer. He is very much, like, lives in the, cl- evident, lives in the clouds. Uh, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yep, that's pretty much a very ironic assessment. Yeah, and considering and, that he wants to build planes. But like one of the most haunting parts of the movie, there's there's two, there's another haunting part. But for me, is when you kind of see him design like I guess like the beta version of the zero, or will become the zero plane, and how it crashes and burns, and he just see like he's like lying in his hotel, and like if it, it, it feels very like like impactful. Um, and uh, like he just sees his creation destroyed, almost as if uh, he's seeing the future again. This is like in the early '30s, where again in Italy, just we're gonna have to talk about World War Two. So I'm gonna bring my World War Two knowledge. Italy was already in full fascist mode with the rise of Mussolini, and then by this point in 1932, Hitler was even though Hitler they didn't come to power until '34. The Nazis were definitely making some noise in like the twenty, in the late twenties, and into the thirties. So it's already there. Um, and I feel like, like that, like this movie has does a great job of having this constant overshadow, and it's it kind of feels gloomy, but it never loses that sense of hope that Hiro has for his creations. Yeah, 
uh, he never loses his resolve, even though uh, personal affairs eventually do get in the way at points. Right, exactly. Um, and, and personally, I, I found like all like the end because I don't know much about airplanes. Do you know anything about airplanes? I know they fly. Right, ex- exactly. Like they're very cool. Like we can we can both agree that airplanes are like a modern marvel. Like the fact that we can people can get into this fucking thing. And fly three thousand miles, say relatively safely. You know, to to quote Superman, this is still the safest way to fly, uh, safest way to travel. Um, and it's like obviously starting with the Wright brothers and in, in, in the Carolinas, and then carrying out to the across the world. Um, you know, I I really it, it was really fascinating seeing this young man who wanted to just create beautiful planes. And um, but in the midst, you have the the fact that the world's in, in the Great Depression at this moment. Like, there's a small scene. They don't. Nothing is. You have to. You have to. I feel like you have to know what's going on to get full context. I don't think it hurts the movie narratively wise. But I feel like like that scene where he's with his friend and he gives those two homeless, not homeless kids, but those two kids who clearly need to eat sponge cake. And like you have to remember, like around this time, like oh yeah, the world's in, the world's fucked right now. Like literally. Um, and with, with money because of the 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 the, uh, the first world war and 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 that push towards modernization is still there um like i i really fa- became fascinated with like how his wonderful dreams became tools of destruction yeah it's almost a, a stark um, wake-up call of reality um obviously uh you would have grand ideas and the grand populace want to use them as tools of war and that's just the way the cookie crumbles unfortunately right um i think one of my more favorite scenes is when they it's like when japan is like starting to form that alliance with what would become nazi germany now again this i think it was in the um in like the 1920s when they go out to germany to go see that one airplane um it's like 1929 um uh, so like it's like it's not quite the not it's not quite Nazism. So like the the uniforms aren't going to be like that. But um, what would become like the like the like their bombers for World War Two is is it's like I feel like knowing this stuff for me like it made watching it like a lot more like darker than it probably maybe to most people who uh, who um, who don't know that stuff. Yeah, I'm honestly uh, not that knowledgeable on uh, World War II stuff, so I imagine uh, having better knowledge on the scope of things probably enhances viewing this movie. Right, just just a little bit. Um, uh, now, uh, that being said, this movie isn't all about airplanes and aircrafts and stuff like that. There, there is a side plot... Which is the which is a a romance plot, which it kind of disappears in the moment, but I'll do, uh, like for a good chunk of the movie. But I think it works to that benefit. Um, early on in the uh, um, uh, in the movie, very early on, uh, Jiro's on a train to Tokyo. Uh, I think he's going back to Tokyo, and he meets uh, he meets a young woman by the name of Naoko Satomi. Um, and unfortunately, a huge ass earthquake happens. Like, um, like it's bad. Like a whole like village is like um, is on fire. It's bad. Um, 
and then uh, they ha- they um, Nalco uh, Nalco is helped by Jiro, and then they, the, their maid uh, her maid is also there. So they uh, Jiro basically helps them, and unfortunately, it's it's pretty much that like, oh my god, who are you? You're an amazing person, and you're gone, and and there's that tragic like pining for each other, at least from Jiro's perspective. Um, I think it's at least what two years, maybe three years since they before they see each other again. I think it was two. Um, and until uh, until they eventually uh, reunite, um, in I believe it's uh, nineteen um, nineteen thirty three. Um, so yeah, all, like it was it was a good it was a good while. Um, but what did you think of the of the romance subplot? Um, it does come a bit out of nowhere, but seeing as this is a sort of an autobiographical story, uh, I think it does kind of imitate real life a little bit. Like, stuff like this does, doesn't exactly happen, like, in the movies, you know? Like, it comes up sporadically, I would think. Right, and I really love how they do meet each other, because, like, I don't, like, obviously it had been a while since you, the audience, that saw her... And then you see her as well, and he's like, they're just at like he's like at a random um, uh, hotel, and he catches her, her, um, her parasol. And it, it isn't until later that he uh, he introduces uh, herself, and like there's like, oh my god, like I've been I've been looking for you, like holy shit, and she's been madly in love with him. And I I like I don't know how how true that is to it. You know, um, but uh, I do love the idea that they uh, that they do meet uh, again, despite their lives going on completely different paths. It's that Ghibli magic, yo. I don't even think it's Ghibli magic. I just I just think it's like you know, just again, I want to believe that um, uh, that that that's how it happened. But we'll have to we'll have to assume it does. Um, however, there is a there is a very very sad. Part to this romance in that it's not long for this world yeah unfortunately um it's not exactly um the case in real life uh but in the movie uh she does have a terminal case of tuberculosis and she is pretty much on death's door yeah um and so so she te- like he asked her to marry her they like they did a great ceremony and pretty much they were like, we will, you know, we're going to wait until she recovers from the tuberculosis um, to marry. Unfortunately, um, like, then you have this whole fucking, like, the movie becomes like a thriller plot for a moment where, like, all of a sudden the, the Japanese secret police uh, are looking are, are looking for uh, him because he's talked to Kastrop, uh, who is, he very, he, uh, Hans Kastrop plays a very small role but other than that he's he's critical of nazis and of course if you're critical of of nazis you're critical of our allies we we you know he's probably trying to deport him back to nazi germany at this point um so um but unfortunately what happens is uh as um uh jiro is designing what would become the zero the the zero plane um, he gets a letter from, I think it's his boss, um, that, uh, she had a hemorrhage, I believe they, a lung hemorrhage and it, it cuts to an extremely visceral, 
uh, scene where, um, um, sorry, my phone keeps going off. Uh, an extremely visceral scene where, uh, she like is, is coughing up blood and it's, I don't know about you, Tyler, but that left me extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, it's gruesome. Uh, anything else to say about that point? That point, man. Like, um, how did you? It does, like, it does add a layer of tragedy, and I was feeling uh, for the characters at that point. Uh, and it does kind of intermix with the whole uh, trying to design the zero planes uh, plot point that we've been uh, following the entire time. Because Jiro does feel incredibly conflicted uh, by the end of this movie of uh, balancing his dream along with uh, with the health of his wife. Right, and uh, she's in the, after the lung hemorrhage. She's take she goes to a mountain uh, sanat- uh, sanatorium, um, which is pretty much you know uh, like special like they're, they're at least back then they were they're, they're like hospitals specifically designed for you know helping with diseases like this, um, but like. And you call it selfishness, um, and, but she probably realizes that, like, listen, I don't have a lot of time. And w- that wedding ceremony was equally beautiful and equally sad knowing, even though, like, it's it's kind of, it's telegraphed in all the right ways. Like, you know she's not going to be here. That, that, wedding, that, that wedding scene was very beautifully well done. Yeah. Um, and, and, um... Unfortunately, even uh, Jiro's sister, who plays a small role in this movie, um, basically tells her like she's like she's a she's a doctor. It's like, listen, her her condition's not getting better. Um, it's it's uncurable at this point. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you may not agree with it. How did you feel about that? Like the, the like, like instead of trying to get better, right? Like because at one point, who knows? Maybe she could have gotten better. She stayed at the sanatorium, but or or maybe. It just in her heart, she realized that I'm not getting any better, so I'd rather spend time with my husband um, or the love of my life. How did how did you feel about that for her as a choice, or for like, them them as a choice? Like I understand the rationale between emotion and uh, rationality. Uh, I can see both sides, in all honesty. Yeah, um, I found it. I found it personally very, um, very sweet, but also very very bitter knowing that like like that that pain when the sister um uh says uh like you know you basically um warning her about the tr- like the, the 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 like her condition is not getting any better like i get like that pain on his face knowing that like i could i could help my wife i i should but he also knows his wife would probably not go and and the only reason she goes at the very end is because she realizes that she's past that point in no return and like when i don't know about you tyler but when they walk in and they see the letters on the table my heart sank because like that's that's like the instance okay something happened yeah that's how we know something's going down um and uh uh, and so basically, she she does it. She goes back to the sanatorium, presumably to pass in peace, because she doesn't listen. I'm gonna tell anybody right now, and my and my dad has said this to me, like you know, he does it like because certain diseases will just wither you away, 
And I don't know what tuberculosis does, but it definitely can make you a shell of what you were. So, like, she doesn't want her husband's lasting memories of uh, of her to be sick in bed. He wants her to remember the, you know, the, um, you know, the the time they had together. You know, her in the wedding dress or at, on the train, however short it was. I found that like so beautifully sad. Yeah, as a hopeless romantic, I can relate to that. Yeah, it was, uh, and and in that moment, we get his final meaning with um, with Caproni, and uh, this is after World War Two. So the the the, the um, after this is after Nagasaki, after the Japanese have surrendered to the to the to the Allied powers, Allied forces, um, you know, and he they pretty much has that sense of regret that, like, this beautiful machine he created was used for war. Um, uh, and that um, Caproni basically says, like, the dream of building a beautiful aircraft was nonetheless realized that like, you did it despite everything. Um, and uh, and he sees uh, Nahako, like, there. He's like, she's been there. She's been waiting a long time. And you see her fade into the, into the ether. And I thought that was, like... Definitely bittersweet. Like it's definitely the most bittersweet ending of a Ghibli movie I've seen, uh, re- in, in compared to what we've recently seen. I don't even know what ending would compare to compare to this. In all honesty, yeah, I'm having a hard time trying to think of uh, which of the Ghibli movies comes close to this. Yeah, because most of them end like, you know, it's a, it means a happy ending. Like she she died on her own terms. He granted, you know, he hid the things he used for. He, the beautiful machine he made ended up becoming a tool for war, but ultimately, he did what he wanted to do. He he created a, a he created a beautiful plane that will be remembered in history, whether that's good or bad. That's for you to decide. Um, but uh, ultimately, I thought, um, like I I felt like so satisfied after finishing this movie. Yeah, I would say so too. Uh, any other aspects of the movie you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Um, nothing that we haven't already. Okay. Um, I, I thought this movie was extremely lovely. I, I did not expect a a biological a autobiographical movie. Um, and in honesty, like it, you know, sometimes that we could play about these. Like sometimes we give movies can be either too short or too long. And I felt this was just the right time and, like, um, had that nice balance of drama, romance, and, and intrigue to keep me going. And even if you're not the biggest person invested into, uh, like, air air travel, then I feel like uh, you could um, – you could. this is definitely a movie to watch. Like, out of all the most recent Ghibli movies we've seen, and, you know, there's some pretty good ones. Like, you know, Ponyo's in there. I feel like, and I, I and I feel like this doesn't get as much love as other Ghibli movies, um, and maybe it's because maybe because of the bittersweet ending, but I feel like this is like one of my more recent favorites. Even especially as we cross once we crossed over to the new millennium of two thousand two thousand one. Oh yeah, uh, this is definitely a beautiful unexpected sleeper hit for me. Honestly, like I wasn't expecting like. A semi-autobiographical movie either and uh i definitely learned some things here today right that's good okay well there you go ladies and gentlemen uh that's gonna do it for this episode of cinema shot we now only have three movies left but um we're gonna take the rest of the year off so we probably won't be back 
till January 9th. Um, it's the end of the year. You know, we only have three movies left. I understand, but it's been a long year. <laughs> and um, I know I'm pretty sure Tyler would agree that, hey, you know what? Maybe we can take a small break before we wrap up this marathon. Um, For sure. So, uh, but when we do come back in 2023, uh, we'll, ra- we'll we're going to start with uh, the tale of Princess Kaguya, which is an age old Japanese tale that I've heard referenced in hundreds of other uh, anime series. Um, and of course, where Marnie was there, and then finally Ear, uh, Earwig and um, Earwig and the Witch, uh, which was released, uh, three, will be three years ago uh, at that point, um, or it's two, uh, two years ago today, uh, this month. Um, okay, uh, Tyler, please plug your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter, Hey It's That Ty, the platform that can't decide if it wants to uh, promote other platforms or not. I'm also on Hive at Tiger Shoes. Check the pinned tweet to take you to my YouTube channel, Home with Tire Shoes Reviews, where I review old-ass fighting games for your pleasure. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Marvelous Iggy, Oogie, Marvelous Iggy, um, and Marvelous Iggy, and go to twitch.tv slash Iggy214, I stream four times a week, and go to jarchers.com for this episode as well as our other ones. Thank you all for joining us for this wonderful movie. We'll see you in 2023 for The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Until next time, guys, dream on. Thank you for watching at Cinema Shot Theater.